Okay, so I'm super excited to kick off this new series with you. I was excited about that, and I really am, but I'm super excited about this series because I, here's the deal. If you will hear God's word, if you will apply his principles that we're going to be looking at over these next few weeks, this series, I'm not kidding you, it has the potential to radically transform your life. Not just to make incremental little steps in your life, but to radically transform your life in a God-honoring and a God-worshiping way. This is something that I really want to share with you for about a year now. About a year ago, I read this book called Atomic Habits by James Clear. It was a phenomenal book. I was like, oh my goodness, this, this is such a good book. I'll have to consider, you know, preaching on this, and, and, you know, next year. And then after that, I was listening to a podcast. Uh, I listened to Craig Rochelle's leadership podcast all the time, and he was interviewing James Clear. I was like, oh my goodness. So I, so I listened to that, and then I was like, and, and Craig talked about how he did a sermon series. So then I went and listened to his sermon series. I was like, next year, we're doing this book, Craig's series. We're going to kind of combine it, and we're going to let God bless us and our life. And so I have been for a year looking forward to this. And so we're going to talk about habits. And my hope, my goal, my hope for you is that you and I will develop good godly habits that will literally change the trajectory of our lives relationally, physically, financially, and spiritually. Now why do habits matter if we're going to have that kind of success in our life? Well, I love how Craig Gashel said it. He said this, why do habits matter? He said, because successful people, and that's what we want to strive for that. In each of these areas, successful people do consistently what other people do just occasionally. Successful people do consistently what others do occasionally. So if someone is spiritually thriving, and if they're close to God, I can guarantee you they are consistently practicing habits or disciplines that help them grow closer to God. If someone is financially successful, then they are consistently doing things with their money that other people are only occasionally doing or never doing. Relationally, physically, it's all about doing small things consistently over time that eventually yield big results. Now think about some of the people in the Bible who I imagine we'd all agree are successful on some level. Jesus was certainly successful on multiple levels. He was successful in pleasing God. In fact, in Matthew chapter 3, it says this. God spoke out and he said, This is my son whom I love. With him, with him I am well what? I am well he was. God was pleased. He was, he was successful at pleasing God. When it comes to habits, Jesus never said, You know what? man, I just can't find the time to pray. I mean, I, I got a lot to do. I'm busy. The disciples are wearing me out. Peter, you know, he's a handful. How am I ever going to spend time with God? He didn't do that. On the contrary, what we see in Jesus is this consistent habit where we would break away from the crowds to have intimate time with God including what we see the habit listed in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, where it tells us very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. That was his habit that Jesus was into. He was successful in pleasing God. Paul was successful in pleasing God in so many different ways. I love what Acts chapter 17, verse 2 says. It says this, as was his custom, Paul went into the synagogues. As was his habit, 
That was Paul's habit to go into the synagogues and in the temple, and he would tell people the good news about Jesus. Habits matter, and successful people do consistently what others just do occasionally. Or as Sean Covey said, he said, our habits will make or break us. We become whatever it is that we repeatedly do. See, this is a perfect, perfect time to talk about habits, especially because studies tell us that about 92% of those who set New Year's resolutions, we give up on them by Valentine's Day. So, I mean, that's, it's, that's not good news. It's not working out. So I want to help you so you can be successful. I want to help you that you can be a successful Jesus follower. I want to help you so you can be a successful friend. Uh, if you're married, a successful spouse or, or boss or employee or coach, you can be a successful Christian. And I know some of us, I, I get it, we're tempted to think, what's the point? I've set goals in the past. I've had resolutions and they didn't last. I didn't make it to Valentine's Day. I, heck, I didn't even make it to January 5th. And you're like, I can't do it. I imagine if that's you, you felt like the Apostle Paul felt when he said this in Romans chapter 5. He said this. He says, I don't really understand myself. For I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. I want to do what's right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I, want to do, I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. I want to stop eating junk food. I want to stop procrastinating. I want to stop overspending on Amazon just so I could get same-day delivery. <laughs> I want to do what's right. I want to pray. I want to give. I want to serve. Paul says, I don't do what I want to. Instead, I do what I hate. I want to do what's good, but I don't. I don't want to do what's wrong, and yet I find myself doing it anyway. And I think all of us, we get honest with ourselves saying, that's me. That's my life. And I hate that part. In fact, we do what Paul then did. We end up connecting our failure or our lack of progress with our actual identity as a person. And Paul said this, Romans 7, 24, as a result of all this, not doing what he wants to do and doing what he does do, he doesn't want to do. He says, oh, what a miserable person I am. We connect our failures with our identity. And you've probably been there. You say, man, I'm a failure. I'm not disciplined. I'm not becoming more like Christ. What a miserable person I am. Now, thankfully, Paul did something, and he asked a question, and we see him shifting in his thinking. He didn't stay there. Some of us stay there. He shifted in his thinking. He said this, verse 24, he said, so who's going to free me from this life that's dominated by sin and death? Paul was wondering, I, man, I don't like this. Who's going to free me from this? And so he looks to the source, to the only one who can truly change him. And he gives us the answer. He says, thank God, the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And I got to tell you right now, if you hear that and your brain goes to cliche, 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 church answer, church answer, church answer, then you will stay in that state of not being where you want to be. Paul understood the answer truly is Jesus. He's truly the one who can change you, who can deliver you, who can rescue you. He is truly your hope. He is truly your future. It doesn't matter who you were. 
doesn't matter what you did. It doesn't matter where you've been, how much you've messed up. Jesus can take it all. And it tells us in 2 Corinthians, Paul said, he can make you new. He can make you a new person, a new creation. All that, that old stuff, it's gone. In Jesus, you're new. Listen, I want you to live out the disciplines and the habits that lead to a God-honoring, God-pleasing life that is only found in Jesus Christ. Because I understand that successful people get there because successful people do consistently what others are only doing occasionally. I, I think I know you enough to know this, that deep down you would say, yeah, that is what I want. Yeah, deep down you're saying, I do want to live a God-honoring life. I do want to live a God-worshiping life, a God-pleasing life, a, a, God, a successful life in God. That's what you want. And yet our good intentions so often lead us to failing, to coming up short again and again and again. So what I want to do this morning is I want to show you a couple reasons why it is that you and I don't succeed even though we have great intentions. And the first reason we don't succeed is that you and I end up focusing on the what, but we don't understand the how. We focus on the action that we want to perform, the thing that we want to accomplish, but we don't understand how to get there. We don't know, understand how to get to that goal. Think about it this way. For the most part, I imagine that most of us here have similar goals in life. We can kind of lump them into a, a few different categories. I think, I think we have similar goals. For example, I think most of us here would say, you know what, I want to be healthy in some form. Right? I think that's you for most of us. I don't know any of you are saying, you know what, my goal in 2020 is to be, you know, to have dangerously high cholesterol. <laughs> that's not your goal. When it comes to your finances, most people say, I want to be free. I want to be out of debt. I want to be able to be generous. I don't think anybody here is saying, you know what, 2020, here's the goal. I'm going to double my debt. I'm going to have high interest rates, and I'm not going to give to my family, to my friends, or the church. No, that's not what we're doing. We all want good, thriving, healthy relationships. I don't think anybody here is saying, you know, my goal in 2020 is to make as many enemies as possible, to drive everybody in my life away, burn every relational bridge. No, spiritually. If you're here this morning, you're a disciple of Jesus. You want to be close to God. You desire that. You desire for it to do something and be something in your life that is significant, that, it, that brings purpose to your life. You want your life to count, to matter. You want to please God. See, James Clear says successful people and unsuccessful people, they all have those goals. They all have the same goals. But it's the results that can be dramatically different. Think about it this way. What's the goal at the beginning of the football season every year? The goal is to win the Super Bowl. Coaches aren't, aren't, aren't gathering their team together and say, all right, team, listen, this year we are shooting for mediocrity and it's going to be amazing. We're shooting for eight and eight, middle of the pack. Wait, there is one coach, that miserable, worthless coach of the Dallas Cowboys. But other than him, no one aims for eight and eight. I, yeah, 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 I know. Jesus loves them. I know, I know. 
The cowboy nation doesn't. Jerry, get, get rid of them, please, I beg of you. Sorry, I digressed. I'm back, I'm back. We all want something similar. And yet we all end up with different results. James Clear says this, and I love it. He says, our goals, that we all have similar goals, they don't guarantee or determine our success. It's our systems that determine our success. Goals alone don't get us to the end desire. It's the system or systems in our life that really determine our success. In fact, to directly quote James, he says this. He says, you don't rise to the level of your goals. You fall to the level of your systems. You fall to the level of your systems. If you are thinking, man, that's cool, but it doesn't sound very spiritual. I would encourage you to read the Bible through that lens and you will begin to see many examples of successful people because they have good and godly systems in place in their life. And you'll begin to see people in the Bible who are unsuccessful because of the system or systems they have set up in their life. Let's take Daniel, for example. Some of you know some of Daniel's story or maybe all of it, but Daniel was successful. And I look at Daniel and think to myself, how? Why did, why did Daniel stand out to four leaders of four different regimes? And that they wanted him a part of, of their leadership and they wanted him in their court. How, how is that possible? Or why is it that when Daniel was thrown into the den of lions because of his obedience to God, why was he able to stay strong? Why was he able to trust in God in the midst of that and remain faithful even in something that could have ended in tragedy? Simple, because he had a system. He had systems in place that led him to a life of faith and faithfulness to God. Some of you might know what his primary system was. The Bible tells us in Daniel chapter 6 that Daniel had a consistent habit that three times a day, every day, he would stop and he would spend time with God three times a day. Him and God, that was his system. Listen, if you want to grow your faith, if you want to be more faithful, you're not going to rise to the level of your goals. You're going to fall to the level of your systems. You have a goal, let's say, of reading the Bible every day. If you show me the system that you have for reading the Bible every day, I will show you I will be able to predict whether or not you'll be successful in that based on your system. So I just want to ask you, what is your system or systems? What is your system or systems in your life that builds and strengthens your faith? I'd like you to think about that question the remainder of the morning. What is your system or systems that you have in place that build or strengthen your faith? I can tell you this, that one of our biggest mistakes is that we focus on the, on the results or on the end goal. I, I want to lose pound, 20 pounds by, you know, this, this vacation, or I want to be more organized, or I want to pay off this credit card that's been around so long, I think it's a, one of our kids. You know, you're like, I, I want to do something. It's not working. What we need to do instead is change our systems that lead to those results. In other words, if we will fix what we do, the habits in our life, the outcomes or the results that we tend to focus, focus on, they'll fix themselves. 
And I'm going to tell you a lot more about that in the upcoming weeks. And we're going to get really practical about building spiritual principles. And we're going to talk about that. And we're going to build these spiritual principles into how we create these systems that are going to lead to the outcomes and desires that we want. But I need us today. I need us to understand first the why. We need to understand why is it that we're not having success, that we don't succeed. And first, we don't succeed because we focus on the what. The action or actions we want to perform, the thing or things that we want to accomplish. But we don't understand how to get there. How to get there. It's the need for a better system. It's a need for a system. you got to have a system first. Now, there's another reason you and I give up so quickly on these goals and we don't succeed and 92% of us uh, fail in our New Year's resolutions, and that's because we don't see progress fast enough. We don't see progress fast enough. You've been exercising, you know, three, four, five days a week, and and you're consistent with it over the last couple weeks, and you get on the scale, and you've gained two pounds. You're like, forget this. Or you read the Bible, you're like, okay, I'm going to read the Bible, and you read the Bible five, six, seven days a week uh, straight, and then you're on your way to church, and you chew out the kids, and you're like, see, I told you this Bible reading stuff doesn't make a difference. Or you say, you know what? I'm going to stop drinking coffee to save money and pay down my student debt. And at the end of the month, you don't owe $25,000 anymore on your college loan. You only owe $24,900. And you're like, I'm not going to make any traction. I'm never going to get there like this. You see, because we don't see the results fast enough, we wrongly conclude that our small decisions don't matter much. I read the Bible every day, or I read it today, I should say, and nothing really happened in my life. I decided not to go to church this Sunday, and nothing was really different in my life. I was still fine. I ate a whole box of chocolates and woke up the next day and just kept going on like I did before. Nothing really changed. The small good decisions don't really move the needle much. The small bad decisions don't really move the needle much. But the problem is we miss the truth of what is impacting our lives in massive ways. And this isn't a rocket science thought, but here it is. Our life is the sum total of all the decisions that we make. Who you are today, who I am today is a result of every single little small decision that we've made along the way, the good and the bad. See, they all matter and they all add up over time. We rarely wreck our life all at once. Now, some of us occasionally do, but rarely does that happen. It's usually one little bad decision at a time, a small compromise here, cut the corner there, fudge a little bit here, a little lie there. Then one day you wake up and you find out yourself saying, how in the heck did I screw up my life like this? You didn't do it all at once. It was one small bad decision at a time. And the opposite, side is, uh, the opposite side of the equation is also true. You look at someone who's successful or happy. They got it together. They're godly. They're generous. Did it happen all at once? No. It was a small discipline or small disciplines done again and again and again. You see, nobody knows the time that you spent in prayer. Nobody knows the time that you spent fasting. 
the times that you spent just seeking after God, the times you had those difficult conversations with God or sometimes with others. Nobody knows your, your faithfulness and, and all the perseverance it took you to finally get to a certain point. They don't see that. They don't understand that. But you know, you realize it was one small choice, one small decision at a time, done over and over and over. One small decision after another after another. Your small decisions, I need you to understand this this morning. Your small decisions are not wasted. Your small good decisions are not wasted. In fact, they're being stored up. I'll illustrate it this way. Imagine you take a pot, fill it with water, put it on the stove, turn on the heat. 78 degrees. The heat's now on. Put in the thermometer, now it's 100, 120, 150. You don't see any difference with the water, but the heat is being stored up in that water. You may not see it from the outside, but it goes up 180, 200, 210, 211 degrees. You may not see it on the outside, but what do you have at 211 degrees? You have really hot water. But you know what you have at 212 degrees? All of a sudden, there's tip, a tipping point, And all of a sudden, you see something. From 211 to 212, it's a tipping point. And now, what, does anybody know what you have at 212 degrees? Boiling water. Boiling water. Here's what's going to happen in your life spiritually. If you say, I'm going to put in place God-honoring habits or disciplines. I'll put in one. And then I'll add one. And another and another. Sometimes you mess up, but generally you're faithful. And you may not see the results for a period of time, but in your life, the temperature is rising. Your faith is being stored up. And at some point, I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, there will be a tipping point. And all of a sudden, it becomes obvious to you and to others. And you and others say, oh my goodness, that's a godly person. That's a wise person. That's a generous person. That's a wise steward. That's a faithful believer. Or that's a person who's in shape. That's a person who's out of debt. That's a person whose marriage is incredible. That's a person who's making a difference, whatever it is. And people will think, man, it's like they're an overnight success. No, 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 no. They have no idea all that you went through storing up one small decision at a time. And there comes a point, 211 degrees, tipping point to 212. And it's all obvious. Craig Rochelle says it this way. He says, it's the things that no one sees that brings the results everybody wants. And I like the way the Apostle Paul said it to the believers in Galatia. He said in Galatians chapter 9, he says to you and I, he says, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. He said, let us not become weary in doing good things. Let's not become weary in honoring God with our choices in our life. Let us not become weary in living on a, you know, on a budget. Let us not become weary in getting up 5 or 10 or 15 or 20 minutes earlier to spend time with God. Let's not become weary in going to the gym. Let us not become weary in fasting before God. 
Let us not become weary in doing the right thing, the honoring thing in our relationships, in our marriage, even if we don't get the love or the respect. Why? Why do we not get weary? Because Paul said, for at the proper time. In other words, you may not see it for a while, but it's being stored up. For at the proper time, from 2.11 to 2.12, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. It's Paul's way of telling you and I, be patient. Be patient. Ten-day shipping isn't the end of the world. Somebody, uh, I don't know if they're in here, somebody uh, got me this gift and, 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 and they're like, uh, sorry it hasn't got here. I know Christmas has come and gone because they ordered it coming from like Britain. And, and it's like on a tugboat or something across, you know, across the country. And, and, and we're both like, what, what's going on here? Well, how is this through Amazon? How is this thing not here yet? You know, it's like we're just conditioned to need instant gratification, instant success. And that doesn't help us. It doesn't help us in our life. Why do we tend to fall short and fail so often? Because we focus on the what and we don't understand the how. We've got to have a system. Second, we're not seeing progress fast enough. And number three, and this is a big, big problem, our distorted identity about ourselves sabotages our success. I hope you realize that it's our enemy who tries to connect who you are, your identity, with your uh, successes and failures. That's not a God thing. The enemy is saying this, hey, you failed in that, so you're a failure. It's your enemy who says, you messed up in that again. You're, you did a bad thing, so you're bad. It's the enemy saying that to us. I find it interesting that some of the most effective people in the Bible battled with identity issues just like we do. In the Old Testament, somewhere along the way, Moses didn't live up to his own, you know, expectations. And God came to him and said, I'm going to use you. And Moses was like, me, who am I? I can't talk. I can't speak. I've made a lot of mistakes. I've messed up. I'm not a good leader. I am not your guy. He identified with some failure in his life with who he actually was as a, per as a person. And it was sabotaging his potential for success. The same is true with Gideon. We talked about him early in the year. Here was a guy who was fearful and nervous. And he was saying, hey, I'm the weakest and the least in my community. He had a distorted reality about himself. The Apostle Paul found himself saying the same thing. I'm unqualified. I'm not good enough. I feel incredibly unworthy based on what I've done. I want to ask you, what... What for you are your distorted realities that you're communicating to yourself about? Well, it's just the way I am. You know, it's just, it's just the way I am. I mean, I got, I got an addictive personality, so I might as well take another drink, take another hit. I've never been good with money, so, you know, I might as well just go so shopping to deal with it. I'm not a disciplined person. I'm not an organized person. I've never been good in relationships. It's an identity issue. Here's what happens. Here's why this is so dangerous. An unhealthy identity about ourselves creates unwise habits. 
And those unwise habits then reinforce our unhealthy identity. It becomes this terrible, vicious cycle. We don't see ourselves as godly, therefore we live in a way that reinforces the identity that, you know, I'm not really living for God. And this cycle becomes very dangerous and negative and just keeps setting us up for failure. So here's what I want to do. I want to encourage you to take a different approach. Because our approaches haven't been working. I know that we create do goals. We talked about it a little bit earlier. As we said earlier, if you will fix what you do, if you can fix that, the outcomes will fix themselves. So there's value in the do goals. But instead of starting with the do goals, how about we start with the who goals? Start with the who goals. Start with your identity and ask, who do I want to be? Who do I want to become? Who do I want to be? Who do I want to become? Don't start with what you're going to do but who do you want to become? Who is it that you want to be? When other people describe you, what do you want them to say about you? You might say, you know what? I want to be a true man of God. That's a great who goal. You might say, I want to be a clean and sober person. Great who goal. I want to be a godly woman. I want to be a godly spouse. Those are great who goals. I want to be financially free, and I want to be radically generous. It's a great who goal. I want to be a bold witness for Jesus. I want to be a healthy person. I want to recognize that my body is a temple. It's a house for the Holy Spirit of God. So I want to make it healthy. Those are all great who goals. Who is it that you want to become? Because when you and I begin to finally address the who, that then impacts our actions or our do. In other words, our identity is what is shaping our actions. Don't miss that, please. Our identity is actually what's shaping our actions. And if we can have a healthy identity, that's going to create healthy actions in our life. And positive actions are then going to reinforce a healthy identity in us, and it's going to be a good cycle. So I ask you, who do you want to become? Who do you want to be? I would certainly suggest to you that a great place to start is to say, I want to be like Christ. And that's a great place to start. You can have other goals, but I want to be like Christ. Because if we are becoming more like Christ, if we know who we are in Christ, then we'll know what to do. Because truly God-honoring people, they are doing consistently what others are only doing occasionally. So who do you want to be? Who do you want to become? I'm going to ask you, would you bow your heads, please? Close your eyes, just, just to help with any distractions. Who before do? Who before do? We'll get to the do in coming weeks, but today, who? Who do you want to be? God, I'm asking this morning that you would hear our prayers. God, as we just spend a little bit of time with you, so God, would you hear our heart right now? Right where you're sitting, I I want to encourage you to take a moment. And tell God who you want to be, who you want to become. Would you do that now?
in your own words? Lord Jesus, you tell us so much in your Scripture of who we are in you. That we are the redeemed of the Lord. That we are the righteous in Christ. That we are more than conquerors. That we are overcomers. That we can do all things, not by our own power, but through Christ who gives us strength. That we are set free because of what Jesus has done for us. God, we know that that's who we are. So God, here's who we want to be. Hear each of these prayers. And God, I, be, I pray that you begin to take these prayers as we begin to echo these prayers today, tomorrow, throughout the week. And we just keep crying out to you and calling out to you. God, I pray that this is the beginning, the seeds of you changing the very trajectory of our life. And we're going to be patient in that, God. Because we're going to begin to do consistently what others are only doing occasionally. But before we get there, God, today, we're telling you who we want to be in you. So thank you for this, God. And Lord Jesus, I know in a moment we're going to come before you and we're going to give you an offering that you would use for your glory, for your kingdom here in Elk Grove, in this church, and around the world. God, there's a whole bunch of people who they do this. They take it seriously. This is something they've been doing. Who are they? They're generous people. They're God-honoring people. They're wise stewards. So God, use this for your kingdom and your glory. And I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.